I Learned to Be Happy by Lisa Fields. At last, the ultimate guide to reaching this elusive goal was now online. Sign me up. When I learned that the most popular course in the history of Yale University, a psychology course designed to help students learn to become happier, was available free online to anyone who wanted to take it, I decided that I had to see what it was all about. After all, I've been writing about happiness for years, offering readers techniques from researchers who found that this idea or that habit can boost well-being. I was curious to see what Professor Laurie Santos was recommending as the best happiness-related research and advice. Her 10-week course, a series of video lectures, would take about 19 hours to complete. Almost as quickly as I decided to take the class, I also chose not to do it alone. I invited my boyfriend to join me for the experience. Why did I want him to participate? One reason is that because I've written so much about happiness, I assumed that I'd be familiar with many of the concepts that Professor Santos would be sharing. I wanted to see how someone who hadn't heard it all before reacted. But another reason why I convinced Ian, my boyfriend, to participate is that I hoped that he'd benefit from it. Ian is a warrior who expects worst-case scenarios to play out in everyday situations. He sometimes takes work-related criticism or friends' flippant comments to heart, and it can ruin his day. Ian is a kind, sweet and thoughtful man who deserves more joy in his life. I hoped that learning techniques from happiness researchers would help him achieve that. Ian and I are both divorced, with six kids between us. We don't see a lot of each other during the week, when we're busy with our jobs and families, but every other weekend we have some alone time together. We spent the better part of three months on alternating weekends soaking up what Professor Santos had to offer. And after taking the course, I'm convinced that anyone, university student through octogenarian, who adopts the strategies that Professor Santos suggests can truly become a happier person. We learnt that the very things that people strive for, thinking that they'll make them happier, a bigger paycheck, a nicer home, the perfect body, don't actually add joy to their lives. But surprising tactics, such as investing in experiences, holidays or concerts, rather than material goods, new cars or smartphones, are proven to make us happier. So are practices such as exercising more, socialising, getting enough sleep and prioritising free time over making money. Once you recognise these pathways to happiness, you can start to influence your own mood. A lot of people don't realise there's work you can do to become a little bit happier if you understand some of the science, Professor Santos told me after Ian and I took her online course. It's like a tyre that you put air into, but occasionally it leaks, and if it leaks you have to put more into it. That means that these constant practices are really what's required to boost your happiness. It's not a one-time thing where you learn it and you're good. You actually have to put the work in. Ian and I also learnt to recognise ways that our minds trick us into feeling less happy. For example, people tend to compare their achievements to those of others around them, who may seem richer or more accomplished. And our brains adjust to changes, so having a new car or new spouse is exciting at first, but it eventually becomes the status quo and doesn't elicit the same level of joy. Although part of the course focused on the desire to get good grades, land the perfect job and find someone special to settle down with, we realised that the lessons aren't just helpful for university students. Ian and I are middle-aged, 
and most of what Professor Santos said was relevant to us. You can quickly see how those examples apply to people in any walk of life, Professor Santos says. What the science suggests is that these tips apply universally in most cases. They apply cross-culturally. They apply across ages. They apply no matter what job you have. Throughout the course, Ian and I tried out several different research-proven techniques to boost mood, such as keeping gratitude journals and savouring experiences, such as eating a slice of rich chocolate cake, or memories, such as remembering why we fell in love. We were trying to improve upon our baseline happiness scores, which we measured initially through a happiness assessment survey. My result was 3.0 on a scale of 1 to 5. Ian's was lower, 1.6. These were our favourite bits of takeaway advice from the course. Increase social connections. Reconnecting with a friend over lunch can boost happiness, but so can a meaningful encounter with a stranger, according to research cited within the course. People predicted their happiness levels before talking to strangers during their commutes, then rated their feelings after the encounters. When people imagine having a conversation with someone, they'll predict it'll be a bad experience, says study author Professor Juliana Schroeder. People actually report the opposite of what they're predicting. They found it to be a more pleasant experience compared to sitting in solitude or doing what they would normally do. People don't talk to strangers often because they fear social rejection, but her research shows that most people would converse with strangers. Ian normally loves chatting with waiters, and I noticed him doing it more after we learned about its benefits. He beams afterwards because of the positive connections. It's always enjoyable to get to know another mind, Professor Schroeder says. One of the most complex things that we can engage with is another person's thoughts and feelings and opinions. It's like peeling back an onion. There's so much there to learn. Perform acts of kindness. Many people resort to pampering when they need a mood boost, but research shows that doing acts of kindness for others, not yourself, increases happiness. Professor Santos highlighted research that shows that volunteering to help someone or buying coffee for the person behind you in line can make you happier than doing self-indulgent things like getting a massage or taking a nap. You just feel good about yourself as a person, says study author Sonia Lubomirsky, a psychology professor. Whereas if you're treating yourself it might actually lead to feelings of guilt afterwards for not helping others. Professor Lubomirsky has found that doing three acts of kindness in one day boosts happiness more than doing one kind act per day over the course of three days. We all do acts of kindness all the time, so we might not even notice it, she says. But if we do three, it's really salient. You really feel like a good person. Striving to do more than that can backfire because it may begin to feel like an obligation. Varying your approach keeps you motivated. We found that if you did not vary your acts of kindness, you actually got a little less happy during the study because it was a sort of monotonous chore, Professor Lubomirsky says. At first you can get this boost, but after a while, if you always put money into parking meters, then you're not going to get the boost. Ian and I held doors open for strangers, let extra cars merge in front of us on the highway, and helped colleagues solve computer problems. The reactions that we got from these simple gestures made us feel better about ourselves and they didn't cost us anything, unlike an indulgent massage. Sometimes it's even things like saying something nice, complimenting a waiter or cashier, Professor Lubomirsky says. For you, it's such a small effort. For them, it could be a really big benefit. Exercise more. 
Anyone who's experienced a runner's high knows that exercise can lift your mood, and Professor Santos highlighted this powerful message, citing research that found that people who were clinically depressed, who exercised regularly, improved as much as people who took antidepressants, and after 10 months, the exercises were less likely to relapse. Getting out of a depression is not exactly the same as happiness, but the studies all show the same thing, that if you exercise, you do feel better, says study author Dr K. Rangakrishnan, a professor of psychiatry. There's not a whole lot of research without people having some level of depression, but I think anecdotally, most people who exercise will tell you they feel better, and they'll also tell you when they don't exercise, they don't feel as good. Exercise causes feel-good hormone changes in the body and also helps to interrupt negative thoughts. You're getting out of bed, you're doing something, Dr Krishnan says, whereas if you sit and dwell, your mood starts going downwards, and that's called rumination, meaning all you're doing is thinking about the negative things. And we've even seen studies showing that just a single exercise session can lead to lots of changes in the brain, and these changes may be the way in which depression improves. Get more sleep. Today, people are more sleep-deprived than ever. Pushing off bedtime may feel good in the moment, but sleep is strongly tied to mood. Consistently shortchanging your sleep can make you grumpy, but making time for sleep can boost your mood. Professor Santos cited research that found that people who slept after learning a new skill improved their performance more than people who stayed awake afterwards. Other research shows that people who don't get enough sleep have slower reaction times and make more mistakes although they don't think that they're performing at a deficit. Sometimes you're not aware how impaired you are. It's a lot like being drunk, says Adam Krauss, a psychology fellow at UC Berkeley. Without enough sleep, these really complex processes, social interactions, understanding another person's point of view, are one of the first things to get sacrificed because they are the most complex. Ian and I tried to get more sleep for a week during the course, but our busy lifestyles made it difficult. A lot of people I talk to know that sleep is good, Krauss says, but they're challenged. Some are forced to sacrifice sleep because they need to work, or they have family, or they have some other thing taking up their time. To conclude the course, Ian and I each had to commit to a happiness-promoting activity for four weeks, something that really resonated to help it become ingrained. Ian decided to exercise more because he hardly ever got to the gym due to his busy work schedule and home life plus his guilt about leaving his dog alone when he's normally home. I decided to get more sleep, because I usually stay up until midnight trying to finish work projects. The first week, Ian packed a bag with workout clothes and went to the gym on his way home from work four times. During his initial visit, he texted me a treadmill photo because he was so excited to be there. That week, I set an alarm to go off at 10.30pm to signal myself to get ready for bed. I usually stopped working within 15 minutes and got into bed. By the end of my first week, I was so well rested in the morning, I woke up earlier than usual to spend quality time with my teenage daughter while she got ready for school, and I was much more productive during the day. The remainder of our four-week challenge didn't go as flawlessly, but when we kept up with our goals, we felt happier. During certain stressful weeks, I stayed up late working every night, and Ian was too busy to get to the gym. Still, we walked away from the experience with a desire to follow through on our commitments. I still have an alarm that rings every evening when it's bedtime. I try to wrap up what I'm doing and go to sleep. When I do, I wake up feeling so refreshed I feel invincible, 
Ian liked exercising regularly but had trouble getting to the gym, so he bought a treadmill and he's been using it in the evenings. He gets home sooner and can keep his dog company while boosting his health and his mood. He's been quite pleased with the arrangement. We took the happiness assessment survey again at the end of the course. I went from a 3.0 to a 3.6. Ian's score rose from 1.6 to 2.0, proof that the practices we were incorporating into our lives were working. It's one of the reasons folks are so intrigued by the class, Professor Santos says. Like, wait, I can work on this like I work on my physical health? I can work on this like I learn a new sport or learn a new instrument? And the answer is, yep, you can work on it. In fact, you should. Professor Santos's course, The Science of Wellbeing, is at coursera.org forward slash learn. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Murnier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.